Welcome to Cut the Crap with You Doll, where we cut the crap from your personal and professional relationships through tough, tantalizing, transforming conversation and coaching. Now, here's your host, You Doll. Welcome, everyone. I'm Udall, your host, and we, you are listening to Cut the Crap with Udall, where we transform professional and personal relationships one conversation at a time. Welcome, 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 welcome. I'm so excited to be here uh, today. Uh, call into the show, please, and ask questions or share comments about our topic of the hour, and you can call in at 619-924-0984. And once again, that is 619-924-0984. So our topic of today is fear. I think it's apropos time to actually talk, have this topic on the show, uh, considering that um, I'm going to date this show because we're right here at Halloween. So it's an excellent time to not talk about necessarily Halloween fear, but to talk about fears in general and how uh, they uh, impact our life and so forth. So let's get uh, our guest. Oh, let me make sure I share our guest name. Our guest uh, for the show is Dr. John um, McGrail, and he is actually uh, an expert in the area and will be sharing with us his particular perspective on fear and and definitely share with us some ways to overcome fear. So let's start off uh, our show with our segment, Sizzling Topics. Cut the crap with you, doll. Stirring the pot, stimulating the mind, satisfying the appetite. Okay, so the sizzling topic that we're going to talk about, uh, we're actually going to bring in the whole conversation around um, Halloween and general fear before we get into our conversation with the good doctor. And you know that there's actually a phobia around Halloween, which I actually didn't know, called Samhainophobia. No, that's right. Google that. Samhainophobia. <laughs> and that's actually the fear of Halloween. But I always find it so interesting that we have people who are so much into their, they have fear, but then there are so many people who create fear very much into, and I call it creating fear. Uh, when you watch horror movies or you, um, you know, get up on those thrill rides, like thrill seekers for me, it's sort of like, aren't you creating fear? <laughs> uh, so I, I find it quite interesting when people do that. I'm not a person who goes out. I'm not a thrill seeker. I don't go out trying to create fear and I'm not into ghouls, ghosts, and goblins, and all of those kinds of things, and the witches, and the scary creatures, and all of that, not my thing at all, and so I always find it interesting when there are those people who actually do seek that out, which makes me think, of course, that they obviously doesn't have, don't have fear, but then the ones who seek it out, yet they scream and all that when they see it, like they are in fear. Interesting way we actually tend to do that, so it's part of the conversation, and so... Um, this whole thing about Halloween, I find interesting, which I thought it was a great time to actually talk about. There are some, there's a list out there 
of the ultimate list of fears and phobias. And so I thought it was interesting to actually talk about, I'm just going to list them out real quick before our doctor joins us. He'll be joining us in a few minutes to actually talk about um, the top 10 fears. So the top 10 fears, just to let you know, are, uh, we'll start with number 10. And this is actually a, a 2016 update. So our list is up to date. So number 10, drum roll, is tripophobia. Oh, tripophobia. Tripophobia. Okay, I didn't try this out in the dictionary first to get the pronunciation correct. But that's the fear of holes. I didn't know that existed. Oh, that could be quite interesting considering that your ear has a hole in it, your nose has a hole in it, your mouth has a hole. So anyway, the this particular fear of holes, it's a biological revulsion uh, or any or it could be culturally learned fears are that are an extreme and irrational fear of holes. And just the sight of holes or the thought of holes sets off a panic attack in the person who has this. Um, so I find it interesting because, you know, according to what I've read, it says that the individual avoids objects such as coral, sponges, skin, skin, meat, dried honeycombs, and pretty much anything that has holes in it. I still don't get how they deal with their ears, their nose, their mouth. Hmm. Interesting question. That's very interesting. Okay, so let's move right along on our list because we only have a few minutes to go through our list before our guests will be, will be joining us. Number nine, aerophobia. And I think quite a few of us have heard of this and we've seen characters go through this on various shows and so forth. And aerophobia is the fear of flying. So um, it affects only about 6.5% of the world's population. And uh, they say it's closely align with claustrophobia, which is the fear of small and restricted spaces. And if you're on a tube, like an airplane, that is definitely a restricted small space, regardless of how large the aircraft, you know, it's not, you know, like being on, on land with lots of space. So, uh, so that's, um, yeah, I think a lot of us are, are familiar with that one and that it causes stress, you know, nausea, panic attacks, etc. So, Number eight is mysophobia. This one has been displayed in some movie also on television, or uh, that's the fear of germs. And so Howard Hughes, for young people who are listening, you may not know who he is, Google him. But Howard Hughes, the famous uh, billionaire, uh, was, they indicated that he had mysophobia, uh, the fear of germs. And, of course, that's closely related to obsessive-compulsive disorder, or OCD, which many people have. So oftentimes people who have mysophobia also have OCD. And so this is the case of they may indulge in excessive bathing or hand-washing. Oh, as a matter of fact, one of my favorite shows, The Big Bang Theory, uh, you know, he has uh, the star of that. Uh, well, at least the character on the show uh, actually has sort of mysophobia where he doesn't, you know, he sits in the same spot 
he has OCD as well. <laughs> so, um, Mycophobia definitely limits people as far as having contact with other people and so forth. Um, so that's a big one. So number seven, that was number eight. Number seven is claustrophobia, and that's the fear of small spaces. And I mentioned that one earlier when I was talking about aerophobia. And claustrophobia, uh, it affects about 5 to 7% of the world's population. And it's mainly related to the fear of suffocation or the fear of restriction. And... Um, the issue is uh, that number of the population has it, but only about 2% of the people actually seek treatment. And um, they say claustrophobia is often confused with colitrophobia, which is the fear of being trapped. But they're two different fears and are treated differently. So then, of course, we have the fear number six. Oh, I didn't know that this existed. Astrophobia. And that's the fear of thunder and lightning. Hmm. I think a lot of dogs have that. So, um, you know, storms are a common occurrence throughout the world, but they say that there are quite a few people, but this impacts children even more so, are afraid of astrophobia. And a lot of animals are afraid of, uh, or they have astrophobia. Okay. And so this actually affects 2% of Americans. Why is it just Americans? Hmm. That's interesting. Another name for astrophobia is brontophobia, and I don't know why it's called that, but that's what it's called. Okay, let's move on with our list. Uh, number five, sinophobia, the fear of dogs. I didn't know they had given that a name. So that's, a, but remember, when we're talking about phobias, we're talking sort of extreme fears as opposed to, oh, your dog is really big and I don't like your dog or I'm afraid of your dog. That's different. Uh, when we're talking phobia, it's taken to the extreme level. So sinophobia is the extreme fear of dogs, uh, and it affects 36%. Wow. And the same amount of people who are, allergic or who are um, afraid of dogs are also tend to be afraid of cats. So maybe they're just afraid of animals. Hmm. Okay. So they say nearly 75% of sinophobes are women, though the fear also affects men. But it usually begins in childhood, and it probably has something to do with something that actually happened to someone um, that created that fear. And we'll be talking to Dr. McGrail about that, uh, about, you know, how is fear created? So fear number four is agoraphobia, agoraphobia. Please do not get me on the pronunciations here. Agoraphobia. So this is the fear of open or crowded spaces. Now I have to tell you, I really don't like, I don't like crowds. I don't like big, I don't like crowded spaces. I'm not a person who would love to go to a concert or a football game. If you put me in a football game, I need to be in a box. If you put me in a concert, I need to be in a box as well. I mean, you know, put me high above the crowd, you know, where it's only a few people around me. And it's not, it's not a fear. I mean, I've gone to a concert. I just prefer, I guess, probably in today's society not to do it. Um, but nearly two out of every 100 Americans suffer from agoraphobia, and that's the fear of open and crowded spaces. Uh, it's debilitating because, it, of course, prevents you from visiting malls. No, I go to the mall, markets. I go to markets, theaters. I go there too, and other crowded spaces. So that's why I said a phobia is an extreme. So people who have this wouldn't even go to those kind of places, and I definitely go to those places. 
Uh, they feel intense panic at the mere thought or sight of such a space. Um, wow. So it limits the person's activities quite a bit. Wow. So number three, that was number four. Number three, many of you all probably have heard of this one too, and that's acrophobia, and that's the fear of heights. And so this is an irrational fear of heights. So it's the fear of falling, um, even when you're not up necessarily high. Uh, it's just, people do not like to be or feel like they're too high, I suppose. Um, and they get in a state of panic, which, of course, interferes with their possibly being able to come down. Now, I have to tell you the story, though. I think I have, a, I don't know if it's a fear of heights I have, and it could be. I don't think it's a fear of water. No. But anyway, uh, I, there was this, it's a four-mile bridge, and I couldn't go across it. And it does sort of go up and so forth. And fortunately, my oldest son was sitting beside me in the car. And when I, I didn't realize I had slowed down. You know, I used to be driving, I guess, 55 across the bridge, and I had slowed down to like 30 or 20 and he was saying, Mom, what's going on? And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, you're slowed down. And I didn't even realize it. He was like, put your foot in the tank, Mom. Put your, press the gas, press the gas. So uh, it seems sort of funny now, but it wasn't then. I mean, I seriously felt the panic in my body. And it seemed like it took me forever to cross the bridge. And actually, the only thing that helped me was I, could, I couldn't look down at my speedometer for some reason but I could glance at my rearview mirror. And when I was glancing at the rearview mirror, I saw this big pickup truck. And it almost seemed as though the pickup truck person driving the pickup truck knew what was going on with me because I'd slowed down so much. And so the person, whoever was driving, and I thank you, whoever you were, they stayed right there, sort of like on my tail behind me. You know, which I thought was great because it kept anyone else from getting upset and being behind me or whatever. And so I, I finally made it across the bridge and pulled over to the side as soon as I could and was shaking like a leap and sweating. And unfortunately, my oldest son was not old enough at that time to drive. So he couldn't take over. So I had to, you know, I got out of the car and walked around the car and tried to get myself together and was able to drive home. But that was awful. So I have actually been working on moving past that. And I actually had the opportunity last uh, summer, I think it was, to drive across a bridge. Not the same one, but to drive across one that sort of went up. And someone was beside me and they said, okay, this is your chance to do it. I did it. So I was excited. Now I need to go drive this other bridge that I didn't get across. <laughs> well, I made it across, but that it took so long to come across. But So that's how it that definitely can impact you. And you may know someone who's like that. As a matter of fact, in my area of the country, there's this Chesapeake Bay Bridge, which is a bridge that I had a hard time getting across. And very interestingly, they they have a business that drives people across, the, a couple of businesses, I believe, that drive people across the bridge. I mean, that's literally what they do. They they have, you know, two people, one drives your car, then on the other side, the other person picks that person up, and they go back across. So you schedule an appointment, but... It, because a lot of people have this fear of going across bridges and mountains, you know, and all of that kind of thing. I'm working on that. So um, 
they said about 10% of the people in the United States has this fear of acrophobia. So that was number three. That was the fear of heights, acrophobia. Number two is orphidophobia. Orphidophobia. And that is the fear of snakes. Now, the fear of snakes is the second most common zoophobia in the, in, in the world, and that's behind, of course, the, the one that, that's number one. So it affects nearly one-third of the adult human population. That's a lot of people. So, wow. And, you know, it, they say the fear of snakes has a historical foundation, uh, and that is the fear of venomous snakes came about because, of course, it was essential to survival. So, you know, extreme orphidophobia definitely affects anyone, you know, who likes to go hiking, camping, or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and they said these people, of course, can even be fear of, of, uh, of pet snakes. I don't have a fear of snakes. Like, it's not to the extreme. Um, I just don't like snakes. I mean, I can look at a pet snake, but you're not going to wrap it around my neck. I don't see how people do that. But I can go in a room with one. I can look at one as long as it can't get to me. <laughs> that takes us to the top number one fear of all time. And that's arachnophobia. And that's the fear of spiders. So nearly 30.5% of acrophobias are living in the United States. <laughs> we have a lot of free people who are fearful here in the U.S. This is amazing. Okay. So it's one of the most common animal phobias around the world. Uh, and it's based in this historical evolutional roots as well, the same as the snake one was, uh, because there are so many species of spiders that are deadly. So the natural response for humans is to respond is to survive. So there are a lot of people who have this fear and I guess it's been passed down through, um, you know, our evolution or, you know, the, our, uh, our growth as humans, which is interesting because as I was raising <laughs> my sons, I did my best not to yell whenever I killed a spider or a bug in the house because <laughs> I didn't want them to be afraid of them. <laughs> But interestingly, regardless of what I did, it didn't seem to stop it. <laughs> so that's the one thing about things like snakes and, and spiders is that you can have, you know, the biggest of people, the most muscular of people and so forth, and it doesn't matter. If they have any, uh, a fear of something like a spider or a snake, size doesn't matter. The person is simply afraid of the spider or the snake. You know, it just doesn't matter. And that's the, that's the way these kind of phobias tend to work. And for those people who do not have phobias, you may go, oh, that's so irrational. But you have to realize to the person who has the phobia, they don't, they only, their body only responds in a kind of anxious panic state. So, they cannot think rationally around it because their body is actually responding to it in that fashion. So it becomes one of those situations where um, 
if you know someone who has a phobia or an extreme fear, just try to put yourself in their shoes. You know, give, cut them a little slack and so forth. You can always recommend that they go seek treatment or, uh, of some kind because there are plenty of kinds of treatments out there for fear. We'll be our fear that we're actually talking about with Dr. Um, um, today is not um, just about like phobias and so forth. Our, we're going to be talking about general fear or the kind of fear that tends to hold people back in life. But we'll just touch on phobias just a little bit. I just thought it would be a great kind of opening topic to talk about those extreme fears because there are a lot of people out here, a lot of listeners who actually have it fear to the extreme. And the extreme is usually called a phobia. So thank you for listening to our sizzling topics for this morning. We just had that sizzling topic. So anyway, so um, unfortunately, it appears that our guest has not joined us. So hopefully he will join us soon. And considering that he hasn't joined us, what are we going to do? Well, I guess we can continue talking about fear. And what we will do, in case our guest does not join us, is that we will make sure that we um, capture him on a recording, and we'll post uh, his recording as soon as possible. And because we don't have any live listeners right now, Sorry, I've got some dead air. (laughs) I was actually attempting to look for Dr. McGrail's information to see if he could join us. So, how do you, um, I'm going to talk about a little bit, what's the difference between a fear and a phobia? Fear and phobia are not one and the same. Um, The subtle difference is that the intensity or the severity of the emotions uh, experienced can determine whether it's a fear. Because I can have a fear of fear. I can I can have I'm trying to think of what I can have a fear of. I can have a fear of, of um, walking, you know, some of the streets at night. But does that mean I won't walk at night if I have to go out? Or no. So it's not a phobia. It's just that I may have a fear when I happen to, you know, I get out of my car and I say, mm, you know, I need to be very careful here. That might be a little bit of a fear. Um, 
I may have a fear about doing something. Uh, does it mean I'm not going to do it? So there are quite a few people who are, uh, say, have a fear of pe- uh, public speaking. And I am a person who I've, I've done so many training classes and spoken in, per- in the public and so forth. So I don't have a fear of it, but every once in a while when I'm getting ready to present to a certain audience, I may feel a little bit of fear you know, before I get up. But I don't have a phobia of, of speaking in public. Um, you know, my body doesn't do anything strange. I don't. It's not to the, you know, uh, if you have a phobia that it's excessive to the point that you don't want to do it at all. And when you are faced with doing it, it, it turns into almost like a panic attack or an anxiety attack. So um, that becomes the, the very, very difference between the fear and the phobia. So I'm only going to do the show for like 30 minutes. And then I'm going to make sure I get Dr. McGrail. So how can you cure the phobias? Um, It's triggered by circumstances or events. And I think you may, I've seen on television before where they try to cure someone of a phobia by putting them in that extreme situation. Um, But it's not anything that you can cure via a drug treatment or anything like that. So there's nothing that can be actually given to you to cure it, you know, such as in the form of a pill or shot, you know, or something like that. Um, if, if somebody does offer you something like that, it's extremely temporary, and we don't know what side effects are actually involved. Um, most of the time, the phobia kinds of uh, therapy that's out there involves your talking with a counselor or a therapist and so forth, and there are particular people who work with particular uh, fears or phobias, more so than others, possibly. Uh, Dr. McGrail, who will, um, I'll make sure that I interview him so that he can give his perspective on it. But, you know, he actually works with hypnosis and so forth. So there are some um, techniques like that to use to treat phobias and actually fears. And then there's some people who, I mean, there's self-help books out there and videos and, and audio uh audios and so forth that you can get where you can actually do cure yourself on your own, or at least you can work on uh, giving yourself self-help to, um, to work with on how to move around or through your particular fear uh, and or phobia. Um, So some of the professional methods uh, work around hypnotherapy, and that's where um, uh, there's psychotherapy, of course, and I mentioned systemic desensitization. Phew, I've got a lot of words today that I can't get my tongue around. But that one is the one where I talked about where you actually put yourself in the position of the fear. Uh, then there's uh, NLP or Neuro Linguistic Programming. Um, that's another one, too. So those are the four methods for focus treatment that are actually out there, and you may find a specialist in one of those types of treatments, and or you may find self-help books on those treatments. So what I want to leave you with as far as we're going to move right into – What are uh, our deeper souls? So what uh, are some assignments that you can actually do on your own to help you move through uh, basic fear and or phobia? You can always keep a journal. 
uh, and that's a proven way, a very powerful way of making positive changes in your life. So you can, you don't have to write long things. So it's not like necessarily, it's not like keeping a diary, but you can fill it with positive reaffirmations, rational thoughts regarding your fear, inspirations to help you actually move through them uh, and so forth. So I want to leave you with a question. You know, what do you fear most? You may not have a phobia, but what is it that you fear most? Is it success? Is it uh, not being loved? Is it that someone's going to leave you? Is it abandonment? Um, is it uh, failure? I mean, what is it that you fear most? So uh, that's a part of your uh, assessing yourself. And then um, also look at how does it show up for you? So what does it look like? And then begin to look at journaling around it and looking at how can you overcome it. So I really want to leave you with one of my favorite, 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 favorite poems. And it's called Return to Love. And this is uh, by Marianne Williamson. And many people know it uh, through Nelson Mandela in that he gave it uh, or used it in a speech that he gave when he was released from prison. And it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, and fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people will not feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It is not just in some of us. It is in everyone, and as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. So, this is Udall Deolio, your professional and personal relationship coach. And you have been listening to Cut the Crap with Udall. So we ask that you please join us, same place, same time, for Cut the Crap with Udall. Thank you for joining our conversation. Join us again next week, same place, same time, at Cut the Crap with Udall. 